Welcome back to Lethal. Let's talk about death row inmates. This week, I'll be covering a Texas death row inmate. Okay, let's talk about lethal injection. Since 1977, lethal injection has been the primary method for executing Texas death row inmates. However, the method has changed over the years. It started as a three-drug process. Step one, Texas would administer sodium thiopental, which sedated the inmate. Step two, they used to administer pancronium bromide, which collapsed the inmate's diaphragm and lungs. And step three, they used to administer potassium chloride, which caused the inmate's heart to stop. Hey y'all, I hope y'all are having an amazing week. I know in Houston, the temperatures have dropped, so it feels amazing here. But I just wanted to give y'all a little reminder, episodes will be released on Fridays instead of Wednesdays. I hope everyone likes the new schedule, so let's get on with it. So this week, I'll be covering a Texas death row inmate. I'm covering Carrie Allen. He was convicted for murdering and raping a two-year-old that he was babysitting. Before we jump into the case, let's talk about something. This is the part that I usually cover Texas death row facts. However, I wanted to bring another subject to light. This week, I'm covering a child abuse and neglect case. I know I said I don't like to cover these cases. However, I think it needs to be brought to our attention that we need to be the voices for children. We need to be their advocates. This week, a horrific thing happened in Houston, Texas. An eight-year-old was found dead in his apartment. He was dead for at least a year. His three other siblings were left neglected and covered in bruises and fractures. Cases like this make me so angry. I know these cases are hard to hear. Well, any case that someone is a victim of a horrendous crime is difficult to hear, but children don't always have a voice. I want the child's case to be brought to light so people know bad things do happen and if you see something report it if you hear something report it according to childhelp.org every year more than 3.6 million referrals are made to child protective agencies involving more than 6.6 million children. The United States has one of the worst records for child abuse among industrialized nations. We lose an average of four to seven children every day to child abuse and neglect. Honestly, I had no idea it was that bad. A report of child abuse is made every 10 seconds. And according to the CDC, about one in seven children experienced child abuse and neglect in the last year. In 2014, State agencies found over 702,000 victims of child maltreatment. This would pack seven modern football stadiums. In a study, 80% of 21-year-olds who reported childhood abuse met the criteria for at least one psychological disorder. Child abuse can have a huge impact on mental health disorders, addictions, sexual and reproductive health issues, and risk factors. More than 70% of the children who died as a result of child abuse or neglect were two years of age or younger. More than 80% were not old enough for kindergarten. 80% of child maltreatment facilities involve at least one parent as a perpetrator. So let's talk about another interesting fact. 14% of all men in prison and 36% of all women in prison in the U.S. were abused as children. A child that experienced abuse and neglect are nine times more likely to become involved in criminal activity. If you see a child in need, be a voice, be an advocate for them. Call 911 
or call the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline at 1-800-422-4453 or 1-800-4-A-CHILD. So I kept it short this week, so let's go ahead and jump right into the case. So once again, I have a glass of wine and I'm ready to jump into this case. This week I'm covering inmate number 999386. Kerry DeMart Allen. He is currently serving at the Polunsky Unit in Livingston, Texas. He is currently 62 years old and has been on death row for 20 years and four months. This case started in 2000. Carrie lived with Kimberly Jones. Kimberly had four children at the time. Carrie would babysit the children when Kimberly would go off to work. He lived with the family for at least six months. At the time of the crime, he was only 23 years old and was a preacher, supposedly. He was known for disciplining the children very harshly. So harshly, the children started to be scared of him. The children started to be malnourished, and they feared for their lives. On May 10, 2000, Kimberly got a phone call from Carrie. He told her to rush home for an emergency. When Kimberly arrived home, Carrie ran up to her in a panic and stated, I didn't do anything to her, end quote. Carrie said this is what happened. He spanked the two-year-old child victim, Kiana Baker, because she had an accident and wet herself. She then fell off the toilet and was lifeless. Okay, here's a trigger warning. When Kimberly walked into the apartment, she saw Kiana lifeless lying down on the floor in boys' underwear. Kiana was foaming at the mouth and nose and did not have a heartbeat. Lying next to her body was an open container of Vaseline. One might think he sexually assaulted her. Again, she was only two years old. Carrie then yelled out, don't call 911. He proceeded to say he needed time to, I quote, get away. Kimberly ended up calling, but I'm not sure of the timing if she called right away or if she gave him time to leave. I'm not sure. Carrie ended up locking himself in a bedroom with all the children. When the police arrived, they opened the door and found that Carrie fled through the bedroom window. Two Bibles were left on the bed open. The Bibles were on a passage about Jesus raising a girl from the dead, according to Justia.law. Kiana was declared dead. An autopsy revealed that she died from blunt force trauma to her chest and abdomen. It also revealed that she was anally raped after she was hit. The autopsy revealed the sexual assault contributed to her cause of death. The medical examiner stated he counted 56 scars at different degrees of healing on her body. This indicates she was being physically abused and this was not the first incident. Carrie turned himself in two days later. He said it was accidental. However, he also stated his temper gets the best of him. Okay, let's go back a bit. Let's look into Carrie's past. Carrie had two counts of felony sexual assault in 1986. He was out on probation. However, it was revoked during this time because he failed to report to officers, did not participate in a sex offender program, and failed to pay fines. After being released, he violated his parole and he left the state and fled to Louisiana. He was arrested nine years later and served the rest of his sentence. After his release, he failed to update his sex offender status, and fail to avoid children. Let's stop here real quick. How does this even happen? How, how did the state not get involved at this point? You know, this is what is so upsetting and what's happening in the world right now. 
Okay, let's look further into his past. Carrie's first wife had a lot to say about him when she testified against him. She stated the two secretly dated because she was a minor at the time and he was much older than her. However, I don't have the ages. She testified against him and stated that he was an abusive liar that did not work. She also stated that she suspected he sexually abused children when they lived with another family, according to Justia.law. Also, during the first marriage, Carrie cheated on his wife with a pre-teenager. He was a youth minister at the time, and this teenager, pre-teenager, was um, attending the church. Carrie's second wife also testified in court. She stated that Carrie was convicted of assaulting her and he would violently abuse her. Another woman came forward to testify, stating Carrie sexually abused her two children. We can see that there is a pattern here. He has not changed his behavior, and it doesn't seem like he's going to stop either. So, how did his defense team come back and argue this? Carrie claimed he was physically and sexually abused as a child, which I don't doubt. A psychologist testified that Carrie was a low-risk for future violence. Can you believe that? Because he has the same pattern going on. His behavior has not changed even after serving in prison. So I don't think I really side with the psychologist, but what do you think? So Carrie was convicted of capital murder and sentenced to death. He is currently serving at the Polunsky unit in Livingston, Texas. So what do you think? He has been in prison for over 20 years. Do you think a person can change their ways if they've had a long past of committing the same crime over and over and over? Let me know what you think. This week it was a pretty short episode, but I hope you enjoyed the episode. Next week there will be no episode. I'm sorry, I do have a test in my class, but I will come back the week after. So please don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review on Apple Podcast. Go follow my Insta at lethal underscore podcast and feel free to shoot me an email at lethal.tcpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to tune in in two weeks. So two Fridays, um, I will be covering a new case and a new inmate. I'll be covering a new death row inmate in a new state. I'll see you then. All the information used in my podcast came from the following sources, cases.justia.com, cdc.gov, childhelp.org, tdcj.texas.gov, and Texas Tribune. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see y'all in two weeks.